Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Amen, amen, amen. I'm so happy to be at church with you today. Welcome to Vox Church. You're glad to be here. If you're new, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. What an exciting time. So many incredible things. Brian mentioned Easter. Uh, you do have this card in your welcome pack, and I do encourage you to take that home. There's an invite card just to invite people to the Easter services, but also, you know, this is just a really sacred, a really special thing that we do every Easter. We just take some time to pray for those in our lives who are far from God. And so maybe a family member, a neighbor, a friend, I just encourage you, take this card home, write down the names of a few people that you know who need Jesus in their lives, and begin to pray every day. Begin to pray every day that God would soften their heart and draw them to himself. It's amazing how God works when we do that. And so I just urge you, make that a part of your Easter celebration this year, making it about somebody else. Death doesn't win. I love that theme. Death doesn't win. So We'll be, uh, we'll be preparing, praying, and trusting God. I really believe that more people are going to meet Christ at our church this Easter than any year in our church's history. I really believe that. That's just in my spirit. And so I think it's just a moment. I think it's a turning point moment for a lot of people. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Also, right after Easter, I know we've got a lot of groups going on, a lot of different things happening all across the church. But right after Easter, we start offering across our locations some financial classes, all right? Financial Peace University, I think it runs eight or nine weeks. If you're at a place where you're like, man, the pandemic has mixed me up. I need to really get my finances in order. I encourage you to check out these classes. The, uh, someone will be out in the lobby with a sign that says financial peace at the end of service. And if that interests you, go and learn more information about it. I know years and years ago, my wife and I took that course and it was transformative. Very helpful for us personally and uh, really helped us establish a budget and stay on course. And I encourage you, uh, go. It's awesome. It's a really great gift and it will help you for years to come really uh, Take your finances and look at them through the lens of biblical principles. It's so, so powerful. So Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be today. This is part five of our teaching series on the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at life in the Spirit. We've looked at what does it mean to understand the Holy Spirit as our helper. We've looked at this idea of sanctification through the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Spirit. Last week, today, we're going to jump in to Romans 12 and look at spiritual gifts. Paul says this, for by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who, act, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness, there it is. I want to talk to us just for a few moments under the heading, given to be given. Given to be given. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to God. I think he has something for you today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of coming around the truths in your Bible. We just acknowledge today that we're approaching this text 
aware of the fact that we need you, that apart from you, we can do nothing, that your ways are higher than ours, and we want to be able to see like you see. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us today, that it would become living and active in our hearts. We welcome you to do that work in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. You are gifted. You are gifted. Did you look at the person next to you and tell them that? Tell them you are gifted. Go ahead and tell them. Go ahead and tell them. Now turn to the person you just ignored on the other side of you and just let them know, oh yeah, you're gifted too. Go ahead and tell them. You're, yeah, you're gifted. I'm sorry I didn't choose you first. You're gifted too. You really are. I promise you are. You're gifted. It seems that we all long to hear those words, right? Those words, you are gifted. We've built a whole culture around those words. We as a people love the idea of being gifted. We all want to find our place. We all want to discover our gifts. We all want to do something special and be someone special, right? We celebrate the exceptional. In fact, there's a pressure in our world to be exceptional at something, and it doesn't even matter what it is, right? It might be dancing on one foot. It might be balancing a plate on your head. It might be skydiving. It might be painting. It might be art. It might be science. It could be a thousand different things, but everybody feels this pressure. You better be exceptional at something. You better be great. You better be gifted at something. In 2020, Netflix released a TV miniseries about chess. Now, I'm not a huge chess player or chess fan, okay? And so I don't enjoy personally, and if you love chess, God bless you, I don't enjoy personally even playing chess, much less do I enjoy watching someone else play chess, right? I mean, it's a strange thing to make a miniseries about, but the main character, Beth Harmon, grows up as an orphan. She suffers a long list of traumas, and in the process, she discovers that she's gifted. She's gifted in the area of playing chess. It's like her mind was hardwired to play chess, and so she becomes incredible. She becomes one of the greatest chess players, competes with the best. Just after four weeks of this miniseries being released, The Queen's Gambit was the most watched miniseries on Netflix, the top program in 63 countries. It went on to win 11 primetime Emmys and two Golden Globes. And when you step back, it's kind of crazy that so many people were watching someone else play chess. Right? I mean, just think about it. It's kind of a wild thing. But we have to understand that the show wasn't about chess. And I'm sure that many of us have seen it in the room. But the the show wasn't about chess at all. I want to suggest to you today that the show was about you. It was about you. It was about the story of the soul, the desire in every one of us to rise above obscurity, to discover your thing, and to prove to the people around you that you're gifted. You're gifted. But you better start early. Tiger Woods was playing golf at four years old. So if you really want to be gifted, you better start early. So for all the parents in the house, you better buy some baby Einstein books for those kids because they better be reading by age one and doing cartwheels by age one and a half. You better get your kids doing all sorts of gifted things because you know they're gifted. And if your kid plays sports, they better go pro or they at least better have the option to go pro. Maybe you choose not to do it, but They better have the option, and so you're here today, and you're the parent of a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old, and you're pressuring them to be the best baseball player or the best soccer player, and, you know, your friends ask, hey, how they're doing? It's like, oh, oh, he's gifted. She's gifted, you know? Really, did they play? No, they sit on the bench, but I'm telling you, they're going to be incredible one day, you know, because we live with this pressure, you know, this pressure, like we got to make our kids gifted. We got to be gifted. We have to discover our gifts. And, and many of us, we're just not sure what they are, right? And so we're looking at other people. We're comparing ourselves to other people. We're saying, hey, I wonder if that's me or, or what am I supposed to do in light of that? You know, Gatorade ruined an entire generation in the 90s. 
because Gatorade got us all singing that song, like Mike, you know? If I could be like Mike, I dream that he is me. Maybe you never sang that song. Maybe you didn't grow up in the 90s. There was this guy named Mike. He was pretty influential, and he could dunk a basketball, and I just wanted to be like Mike. And as I grew up, I had to discover and confront the reality that I'm not quite gifted like Mike, that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be like Mike. And so many of us are living our lives like Cinderella's sisters, trying to jam your foot into someone else's slipper, trying to fit your foot into someone else's world because you want to be the princess. You want to be the one who's gifted. And you don't ask God which gifts you have. You decide to tell God which gifts you have because that's the gift you want. And so, so often in our lives, we're struggling to fit into a box that we've created for ourselves, but maybe that's not even the way you were wired, and you're not gifted like that. You know, when I was 13, I started playing music in a band, and then became a Christian, and started leading worship, and, and playing guitar, and singing, and, and, you know, I mean, I was pretty gifted, you know, I, was, I mean... You know, and, and, and when I was 17, I met this, this, this guy, became friends with this guy named Jay, and, and Jay plays guitar, and I was really serious about it, and he was taking it like a little bit lighter than I was, you know, it just wasn't a big deal for him, it seemed like he kind of hardly cared, and then I was just asking, I was like, Jay, why don't you sing a song, and, and he opened his mouth, and he started to sing, and I was like, dang, you're gifted, you're a little more gifted than I, you don't even care, and you're gifted, I care a lot, and I'm not as gifted, you know, and so if you're the gifted one, what's that make me? other less gifted one and there's this pressure you feel it you feel it your whole life to be more gifted and it never ends it never ends it'll manifest in a thousand things in your family it'll manifest in your finances it'll manifest in the car you drive it'll manifest in conversations it'll manifest a thousand different ways because we're all insecure about our giftedness and there's this pressure to be more. But what if underneath that pressure and those comparisons and that insecurity and that fear and those measurements, what if God actually had, in fact, uniquely gifted each one of us? What if beyond our natural talents, God had prepared for every believer unique supernatural talents? If that were true, if there were spiritual gifts, wouldn't you want to know what yours are? Wouldn't you want to know how to use those gifts, how to grow those gifts? I love the story in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with it, uh, the, kill, the kids uh, enter into Narnia, and, and when they get there, um, they, uh, they're a little disoriented. They don't know what's going on. It's wintertime, and they're in this magical place, if you know the story, and, and, and it isn't long before they meet Father Christmas, and Father Christmas gives each child a unique gift. Sometimes he gives them two gifts, and he, he gives them these various gifts. He gives a horn to one. He gives a, an ointment to heal the sick to another. He gives a sword to another, and none of the gifts make any sense when they're given, but later, when the battle rages and when the challenge come, they discover that the gifts they've been given are exactly what they needed, for the moment. And so it is in the scriptures throughout the New Testament, we're told that God himself has come and that he has given through his spirit unique spiritual gifts to every single believer. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. And that's important because you might be 39 or 52 or 14 or 71, and you've spent your whole life following Christ, but you've never really discovered your spiritual gifts. You've never really outlined them or clarified them or quantified them or intended to grow in them. It's possible to live your whole life as a follower of Christ unaware of the unique spiritual gifts that God has prepared 
for you. And so the first time these gifts are mentioned is in Romans chapter 1. In verse 11, we're told this. Paul says, I long to see you, check it out, so that I may impart to you, here's the first time it's mentioned, some spiritual gift, check this, to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This text is intended to be a window into what spiritual gifts are and how spiritual gifts work. And so Paul tells us that they strengthen faith, okay? They strengthen faith. And so God gives every person a grace that is something undeserved, something unearned. And that grace when used to serve others, strengthens faith. It takes the life of God in you by the Spirit, descended into your heart, taken up residence in yourself, and that Spirit in you is now somehow mysteriously, supernaturally, the power of it transferred to another when you use your gift, and that transfer of the life of the Spirit makes their trust in God stronger. So here's a working definition of a spiritual gift, okay? A spiritual gift is your grace to strengthen faith. A spiritual gift is your grace to strengthen faith. And the amazing thing is that you have a grace. You have a grace. In fact, the entire idea of the church is intended to be rooted in spiritual gifts. We're not just a social club. We're not just a 90-minute Sunday gathering. That's not the intention of God. The intention of God is to give every one of His children unique spiritual gifts that we might become a supernatural community, that we might see what's beyond the natural to see, that we might experience what's beyond the natural to experience. And in the process, faith is strengthened and God is revealed. That's the purpose of these spiritual gifts. And so there's nothing more fulfilling. I just want to put this out there. There's nothing more fulfilling then discovering, growing, utilizing your spiritual gifts to strengthen the faith of another. And so throughout the Bible, there are these lists in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. They're not exhaustive lists, and that's really important to understand. God doesn't list every way. There are 22 specific spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament, but never are they intended to be the 22. In fact, frequently, God you know, led the writers to mix up the lists a little bit in terms of one is listed here, but it's not there, but it's listed here, but it's not there, so that we would understand that really any ability, any talent, any skill, anything God's given you as a gift can be used as a supernatural gift to strengthen faith when that's the target or the aim of it. And so it's not just these 22. These are examples, but they do create for us three unique categories of gifts, and I want to look at that together so that we can begin to understand spiritual gifts. There are leadership gifts, there are power gifts, there are community gifts. And so let's explore these just for a minute. Leadership gifts. Examples of this would be apostleship, evangelism, preaching, pastoring. These are particular leadership leadership gifts for the church. And oftentimes we hear these gifts and we go, oh, I I thought that kind of was the list of gifts. Because many times we come to church, we hear a preacher, and we go, well, okay, I guess they're the one with a gift, and I'm the one that's supposed to receive. And that's not the intention of how church should work. Certainly there are times where we teach the Bible like this, but God had something different in mind for the people of God, and he tells us in Ephesians 4, look at it with me, verse 7, but each one of us, that includes you, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So you are gifted. And then he says this in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, those are leadership gifts, to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Do you see it? Did you catch that? 
In other words, what he's saying here is that the leaders in the church were not supposed to be the ones that build up the church. The leaders in the church were supposed to be the, the ones that equipped the people to use their gifts to build up the church. So the church was supposed to run not on the gifts of a few, but on the gifts of the many, that together when we discover our gifts, utilize our gifts, develop our gifts, cultivate our gifts, that's when the body of Christ is actually healthy. That's when the body of Christ is actually fruitful. That's always been God's purpose. And so if you think the gift is preaching on a Sunday, friend, that's one gift among thousands of gifts. And there are a variety of gifts with a variety of services, with a variety of ways that they must be used. And so some of us, because we've had a misunderstanding about how gifts work in the church, we look back and we just critique the few. And we say, well, I don't really like that singer. Well, I don't really like that song. Well, I don't really like that preacher. Well, I don't really like this setup. And what we have to understand is that God hasn't called you to be a critic of the church. He's called you to be the church. He's called you to be the church because you are gifted. You're gifted. So along with leadership gifts, God also equips with power gifts, okay? Power gifts. Now you might say, well, hold on, Justin. I thought all these were powered by the Spirit. They are. They are. I'm just using the phrase power gifts not to say that the others don't require the power of the Spirit. They certainly do. But to say that these have an unusual power. An unusual power. So examples of this specifically mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And some of us hear that list and they're like, you know, you might be here and you're like, well, that's like the spooky list. That's the weird list. That's like the, I had an aunt like that. Woo! She was crazy. <laughs> if you feel that way, just stay with me, okay? Because, you know, I was spooked by these gifts too when I first started hearing about them. But what I've realized is that when used wisely and used humbly, the power gifts are some of the most incredible gifts that God gives to strengthen faith and to make the reality of God known in the world. And so God often uses these power gifts through his people. We see them modeled in Jesus, for example. In John chapter 1, he meets with Nathaniel. And he says, I saw you under the tree before I met you. And Nathaniel's like, wait a minute, how'd you meet me? I never even met you before. How'd you see me? I wasn't near you. And he realizes you had a word of knowledge. You had knowledge that God revealed that I wouldn't, no one had, would have known otherwise. And immediately his faith rises. He says, you're the king of Israel. He says, you're God. You, you know, he realizes who he is to a degree because he sees the gift. See, it grew, it grew his faith. In uh, Luke 21, there's another instance where Jesus says, he's walking by the temple. He says, this temple is going to be entirely destroyed. Every, every stone is going to be uh, not on top of the other anymore. And 40 years after Jesus said that, the Romans destroyed the temple in Israel. And so that prophecy, it, it strengthens faith. That's a prophetic word. And so a prophecy is simply to speak forth something prompted by the Spirit. That's what a prophecy is, okay? A word of knowledge is to simply know something that the Spirit reveals that you wouldn't know otherwise. To speak in tongues is to speak in an unknown language. It could be a natural language, like a human language. Uh, Paul calls this the tongues of men. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Or it could be a spiritual language. He calls this the tongues of angels. We hear about this in 1 Corinthians 14, that it strengthens or builds up the faith of the individual. And so all of these gifts are intended to strengthen faith. Years ago, when we first started the church, I've shared this story before, we were... Um, we were just a small group gathering for prayer on a weekly basis. There are about 10 of us. We were gathering at the time at Matt and Kate DeSisio's house who now oversee our Springfield and Hartford location. And so there's just a small group of us praying. And there we are praying and singing songs. And, and we, we got a guitar and a little drum. And we're just worshiping Jesus. And uh, there's a knock on the door. And we opened the door. And it was the Holy Spirit. No, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was, it was the Kirby vacuum salesman. All right. He was there to drop off a Kirby vacuum because Matt and Kate got suckered. And they bought a really expensive vacuum. 
but that's fine. If you sell Kirby vacuums, that's good. It's fine. It was a great vacuum. I think they still have it. Anyways, um, they, they, they let him in, and he drops off the vacuum everything, and, uh, and somebody invited him, hey, would you want to join us at our little awkward prayer meeting? And he's like, he's like mm, sure. So he sits down, this Kirby vacuum salesman sits down, and we start praying, and we're singing a song. And in the middle of singing the song, Nancy, one of our leaders, she starts praying in tongues. And she starts praying in tongues, and we finish the song, and, and the Kirby vacuum salesman goes, excuse me, uh, I, just, I just have to ask a question here. He goes, um, my family's not originally from the United States. We're originally from Africa, and we're from a very, very small people group in Africa that has a very, very awkward, tiny language that very, very few people speak. But I spoke it growing up in my house, and that white lady was just talking in my language that I grew up in, and I have no idea why she would know it. And I said, well, can we pray for you? And he said, well, uh, yeah, I guess you can, because that was weird, so I'll let you pray for me. And so we pray for him, and I saw just a picture in my mind's eye, and I, I said, hey, I just see this picture of you behind these bars. Does that mean anything to you? And he starts to cry. And he says, I just got out of jail. And I said, well, I think God is calling you. Would you be willing to open your heart to Christ? And what did those gifts do? They strengthened faith, and right there, he said yes to Jesus. See, the power gifts are some of the most profound gifts. You might say, that sounds crazy. It is a little crazy. It is. It is. It is a little crazy. One week in 2017, uh, going back a few years, I was preaching on a Sunday. And at the end of the sermon, I felt like uh, someone was going to be healed of sinus pressure, just this impression from the Holy Spirit. And so I shared it. I would call that a word of knowledge. And so I shared that. Man, I just feel like God wants to heal someone of sinus pressure. It's mysterious. I'm not sure why I had that impression, and I know that's pretty general, but I shared it, and it was on the stream. So everybody was streaming across our locations, and someone brand new had just walked into our Hartford location. His name's Rocky, and it was his first Sunday at church, and he had a sinus headache and sinus pressure, didn't feel well, and he hears the preacher on the screen say that somebody's going to get healed of sinus pressure, and he thinks, this place is crazy. This is ridiculous. This guy's an idiot. This can't be true. It's all general. He's probably just making that up. He's just throwing out, a, you know, throwing it out there, and he says, well, you know what? what why don't I just pray? I got nothing to lose. I feel terrible. I might as well just pray. And as soon as he prays, his sinus is clear. His headache goes and he starts to weep because the power of God comes upon him. Rocky found his wife, Kirsten, and then they got married. And now they live in Worcester and they start our Worcester campus that starts on Easter Sunday with weekly services. See, the Lord used that instance to strengthen faith, knit him to a community, and then launch him out as a missionary for the gospel in a city that needs Jesus. You see how this works? It works supernaturally. These are power gifts. And what we have to understand is they're not reserved for the pastors. They're not reserved for the leaders, that they're available to all those earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so we saw on our revival nights a few weeks ago, story after story after story about us, just normal people, praying for people and God working in miraculous ways, supernatural ways. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be spooky. We can do this humbly and we can watch God do miracles. Power gifts, amen. Power gifts. So you got leadership gifts, you got power gifts, but the third one is the one that's often neglected and so important, and that's community gifts. Community gifts serve as the glue for the whole church. These are gifts like helps, hospitality, mercy, giving, service, administration, and without these gifts, the entire church would collapse. And some of us have underestimated the value of community gifts. And we have to understand that these community gifts are absolutely essential to the health of the family of God. You know, you might be here and you're like, Justin, I'm never going to lead a campus. I don't, I don't even want to do that. Maybe you could lead a small group. 
Maybe you could lead a community group in your house and use that gift of hospitality that you have and gather 10 people and just open your heart to them and open your home to them. And what you'll discover is that just by sitting around a table at your house and opening the Bible and talking about Jesus, you are actually watching family trees transformed, generations changed, future people transformed and changed, families made different because of the relationships and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're gifted. You're gifted and every gift is so critical to the health of the family of God. And so we got people volunteering at the ABC Women's Shelter in Middletown because they have the gift of helps at the Food Pantry in New Haven or Hands on Hartford or the Bridgeport Rescue Mission. On and on and on are dozens of dozens of partners all across Connecticut and Massachusetts because those gifts of helps and those gifts of mercy need to be expressed. The mistake that we make is that sometimes we either overemphasize the power gifts and we say, hey, if you don't have one of these, you're less special. Or some churches, sometimes we overemphasize the power gifts. And we're like, hey, uh, or underemphasize, excuse me. And we say, hey, we're not even going to talk about those power gifts. They're just weird. So we'll like move those off with snake handling and, and walking on water. And we won't really, won't really deal with that. And so let's not talk about those things. You can't overemphasize them. You can't underemphasize them. Because God intentionally weaves together the sensational and the practical, the eccentric and the mundane, the seemingly ordinary and the seemingly extraordinary. Because he wants to teach us something fundamental about the church. And he shows it to us in verse 5. Look at it. So we, though many, uh, this verse has changed my life, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You see it? You see it? What do you do when your foot is itchy? What do you do? You know, scratch it. Yeah. You have chosen wisely. Yes, you scratch it. But, but there's actually more to it, isn't there? Because what actually happens is your foot sends a signal up to your brain, right? Christ is the head. And, and it tells your brain, I got a problem down here, right? And then your brain sends forth your hand. But your hand is dependent upon the fingers, right? Because the hand's no good without the fingers. It can't scratch. But the problem is the hand can't get there on its own, right? It can't. So it needs the arm. It needs to use the arm. And the arm needs the elbow and everything else. But even with the arm and the elbow, you're still a ways away. And so then you gotta you gotta uh, activate the glutes, right? And you gotta get the the, uh, the legs moving and the back and everything else. And then you get all the way down there and you can scratch that foot, right? So why would Paul constantly go back to this illustration of the body? Because he wants us to understand that Jesus uses the parts of the body to meet the needs of the other parts. That it was always God's intention. You say, oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, it's not. It's not just you and Jesus. You need a hand, and you need an elbow, and you need a knee, and you need a foot. You need all the parts of the body, and so every gift is needed, every person is needed, and your unique gift must be connected in order for it to function. Your purpose, your joy, your life is irrevocably committed to the body of Christ. And somebody's here, and they're like, well, the body's not perfect. Well, is your body perfect? Did you get rid of it, right? You got that little extra weight. You got that nagging knee. You got that problem in your foot. You didn't cut it off. You didn't get rid of it. What'd you do? You cared for it, right? Because that's what the body does. Yes, it's imperfect, but don't give up on the church. 
Don't give up on the people of God. I'm not talking just about a Sunday gathering. That was never God's intention for the church. I'm talking about the people of God gathered and scattered. We come together. We study the word. We worship God. We make much of him. But then we go out into the highways, into the hedges, into the lives of people, into the jobs that we work, into the uh, neighborhoods that we live in, into our small groups, into our missions fields, into our outreach opportunities, serving, giving, loving. And that's the power of the church. And there's room for you. Because you're gifted, you're gifted. And it's so interesting because the weakest parts, God has made oftentimes the most essential. And so you think, well, my gift's not that important because it's hidden, because it's weak. It's essential. When was the last time you showed off your liver, right? You're like, that's a weird thing to say. Well, it's hidden. You might be showing off your bicep, but you could live without a bicep. You can't live without a liver. It's essential, right? It's essential. And so what does that mean? It means that oftentimes the gift that's not seen is the one that holds the whole church together. (laughs) And so we celebrate the gifts. So, you know, Gandalf was wise and Gimli was strong and Legolas was brave and Aragorn was a king and we all needed the whole group. But the weakest member, Frodo Baggins, the hobbit of the Shire, he was the one that was given the responsibility to hold the ring of power because it's that weak member that's so essential for the whole fellowship to work. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Because it's an example of how we need the leadership gifts and we need the power gifts and we need the community gifts and woven together, there becomes the body of Christ. So what happens? When everyone in the church discovers their gifts and uses them to strengthen faith, what happens when we stop comparing and we start serving, when we stop looking for attention and we start celebrating the grace of God in the life of another, what happens is described in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, I love this verse, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I like how Paul is describing all the differences between us, but if you notice, he actually intentionally weaves in the Spirit, Jesus the Lord, and God the Father. He's trying to show us that God is community, that to understand God is to understand a relational dynamic, that God is one and he is also at the same time three that he is unity, and at the same time, he is diversity. And when the people of God use the gifts of the Spirit to serve one another, that mysterious triune God, the invisible one, is made visible in the church. Oh, Lord. Amen. So I want to get practical for a minute. How do I discover my spiritual gifts? How do I develop my spiritual gifts? And maybe you're here and you say, I'm not even sure where to start. I don't know what gifts I have. And maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you're still kind of not sure. And you say, how do I grow? A good place to start is the place you've been. A good place to start is the place you've been. God redeems your history, so examine your past. You might want to reflect on that this week. God redeems your history, so examine your past. See, God doesn't let anything be wasted in our lives. And so if we get good at looking at our story, we often find open doors to our gifts. And so oftentimes you'll go through a trial, but one of the ways that God redeems that trial is he uses it to develop a gift in your life. 
And so maybe you learned mercy through a loss. Maybe you learned hospitality through a betrayal. Maybe you learned leadership or faith through a challenge that you faced where it didn't happen just the way that you expected it to. And so we see this all through Scripture, right? Paul was already a gifted uh, teacher educated in the Jewish law, and he became a scholar that would write two-thirds of the New Testament, right? So God redeemed his past. Peter was a business owner, a small business owner, and God used that experience of leadership to prepare him for launching the church. And so God used their past and redeemed it in gifts. And so that's one of the ways, but he doesn't just use the good parts of your past, right? He also uses the jacked up parts of your past. And God didn't cause those jacked up parts, but he redeems them for his own purpose. And so we see Peter, for example, betrayed Jesus three times. That's pretty embarrassing. And so I could imagine even years afterwards, he's the big shot in the church. And some people would be like, oh, so Pete, aren't you the guy that bailed on Jesus multiple times on the day we needed you the most? Yep, yep, that's me. That's me. And so his entire ministry was marked by humility because it was God's intention to build the church on that foundation, right? You see that? It's humility. That's the foundation. Paul, another great apostle, right? This gift of apostleship that he had, he also persecuted Christians. He had thrown Christians in prison and put them in jail before he recognized Christ as Lord. And so God redeemed his shame and made Paul the great champion of a message on grace. Right, And so it was through the redemption of his pain and his struggle and his failure that God redeems his history. So hidden in your story are clues to your calling. So God redeems your history. That's one place to look for your gifts. God also amplifies your abilities. So discover your wiring. He amplifies your abilities. God's given you your natural abilities. Those are different than your spiritual abilities, right? Because natural abilities, though they are a gift for God, don't necessarily strengthen faith. But a spiritual gift is a grace that strengthens faith. And so God will often take a natural ability and amplify it to enable you to use it to strengthen faith, okay? And so this might sound confusing, but, you know, maybe you're here and you're a small business owner and your business has exploded. And you say, wow, that's amazing. That's a gift from God. It is a gift from God. But it can become spiritually beneficial when you start asking the question, how do I use this grace of my business that's been strengthened to then strengthen the people of God? How do I use this grace to strengthen faith in others? What ways can I connect these two? And so God will often amplify our natural gifts and enable them to have spiritual impact. This is one of the places we discover spiritual gifts. If this is interesting to you and you're not really clear on your wiring, one of the things that we offer at Vox is a, is a really super simple spiritual gifts test. You go to voxchurch.org slash my account. It's free. You fill out the stuff and you get a spiritual gifts test and it enables you to start to outline, hey, what's my natural wiring? It's not going to tell you all the gifts God wants to give you because if they haven't started to grow in you yet, they probably won't pop up on that test, but it'll help you start to learn your wiring and kind of point you in the direction of your unique giftedness. And so that's one way that you can start to grow. So he redeems your history, amplifies your abilities, but he also, here's a third way, God stirs your desires. So seek him fervently. Sometimes it's not connected to your natural gifts or your history, but you become gripped by a holy desire. This is what Paul meant when he said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. This is an invitation that if you would just begin to seek God for gifts, you would experience more of the gifts in your life. And so ask God for a desire and then seek God in the areas that he burdens you with a desire fervently. But be careful because you and I have a tendency to make our gifts about us. Focus more on our gifts than we do on serving others. And that's why Romans 12.3 is actually the most important advice in discovering your spiritual gifts. And it's also the stumbling block that more Christians trip over than any other 
issue in the area of spiritual gifts. Look at it with me. For by the grace of given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, let's break that down just for a minute. Obviously, it means don't be proud. Don't think more highly of yourself. But I think there's somebody in the room today that you say, oh, Justin, I'm not very proud. I don't think much of myself at all. In fact, I'm pretty insecure, and I, 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 I battle with uh, you know, value issues, and I don't feel very important, and I don't feel very significant, and that's part of my problem. And so this verse doesn't apply to me. Well, hold on. I think he is saying a little bit more than pride here, okay? Because when you start to break it down, the, the phrase in the Greek is the Greek, uh, the Greek word hooperphaneo, okay? Hooperphaneo. Now, I know you didn't come here to learn Greek, but hooperphaneo, hooper simply means too much. Too much, okay? Or more than, or overly, okay? Hyper, it's where we get the word hyper. Hooper phineo, right? And phineo simply means to think. So if you translated what Paul says literally, he says, I urge you not all of, I, say, I urge you to not think overly about yourself or to not overly think about yourself. See, there are some of us here that we don't think much of ourselves, but we think a lot of ourselves. In other words, we think of ourselves all the time. We're always consumed with how do I look? How do I feel? You know, uh, I, you know we're fo- self-focused. We're comparing ourselves. We're promoting ourselves. We're worrying about ourselves. We're looking out for ourselves. We are self-consumed. In fact, every single one of us is self-consumed, and this self-consumed hooperphaneo attitude keeps us from developing our spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, if you're ever going to understand your spiritual gifts, you must think with what he calls sober judgment. Sober judgment. Now he's not talking about drinking alcohol here, okay? Sober judgment is a phrase that's used in other parts of the Bible that help us understand what he means. For example, in Mark chapter 5, it's used to describe the demon-possessed guy who just had a legion of demons cast out of him by Jesus, okay? And after he gets delivered from his demons, it says he now has a sound mind the same phrase. He now has sober judgment. So what he's inferring here is that every one of us needs a measure of deliverance when it comes to how we think about ourselves, that there's something tangled up. There's a stronghold in our mind, and it requires that God supernaturally rewires the way we think to break us free from that hooperphaneo, that hyper self-focus that exists in every one of us and enable us to discover who we really are. And so if you're listening right now, you're probably asking, well, how do I do that? How do I get free? How do I unhooperphaneo my mind? How do I break this thing off my mind so I can see as God intends for me to see? I'm so glad you asked because he tells us two verses earlier. You want to look at it with me? Verse one, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, there's the key, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Everything changes about self-identity in view of God's mercy. See, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so I'm separated from a holy God because of my sin. I cannot qualify myself because I've been disqualified by the sinfulness that exists within me. My pride, my fear, my lust, my greed disqualify me from the presence of God, separate me from him, and I cannot breach the gap. But God, in view of his mercy, God in his mercy has done what I could not do. 
He took on flesh and blood, lived among us as our representative, died as your substitute, and in a sacred exchange on the cross gave his perfect life for your sinful life so that through this divine exchange your sin could rest on his shoulders and his righteousness could now redefine your world. He rose from the dead so he could place his living spirit in you, giving you eternal life so that by the spirit you might understand that you're far more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but at the exact same time far more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And now secure in the love of Christ shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit, you begin to discover your right mind. And in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, how he loves me when I don't deserve it, how he forgives me when I haven't earned it, how he makes me blameless and clean, how he decrees me as perfect, how the one whose opinion matters most has said for all time that I am righteous and accepted and blameless and that I'll live with him forever. There's only one way to respond to that. And it's not to thank the genie and walk away. The only way to respond is in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Say, God, you're Lord for the rest of my life. Everything I have belongs to you. And so now in one hand, you hold grace, the acceptance of God on the merits of Christ. And on the other hand, you hold lordship. He is my king. And all that I have is his grace and lordship, grace and lordship. And with that frame of mind, it cultivates humility. And humility is not to think less of yourself because you're loved by the one who created the cosmos, but to think of yourself less. To think of yourself less. And as you serve in humility, your gifts emerge. See, we often think, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. We often think that the problem is I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. What are my spiritual gifts? I don't know. That's not the real problem. The real problem is that we're not focused on strengthening the faith of others. We're not focused on that. We're focused on, number one, I'm focused on me. And as long as I'm focused on me, I can't use my gifts. Why? Full circle. Because gifts of the Spirit are given to be given. They're given to be given. The secret to growth in spiritual gifts is service. Service. You know, I've never met someone who diligently, humbly, joyfully, and eagerly served who didn't discover their spiritual gifts in the process. Something happens when I take the garment of a servant like Jesus did, and I just show up. Something happens when I just show up, when I make it not about me, and I'm eager to love and serve someone else. Something happens where my gifts rise to the surface. Opportunities open up. God makes the way, sometimes in a day, sometimes in a month, sometimes in a year, but he makes a way. I just started thinking, you know, I think a lot of us, we're, we're, we're too busy critiquing and you know, you have to realize you're, you're actually only robbing yourself. We're too busy critiquing. And, and I just, it just made me think, what, what would happen if we all just said, I just want to serve? Now remember, when I say I just want to serve, I'm not just talking about this 90-minute gathering we have on Sundays. That's a beautiful part of the family of God, but that's a part of the family of God. Because we have 80-something outreach partners across Connecticut and Massachusetts where we're the hands and feet of Jesus every week. 
And we have hundreds of community groups meeting every single night where we're serving one another and honoring the Lord. Friends, this Sunday thing is a piece of the pie, but it's not the pie. And when you start thinking that a production on Sunday is the people of God, you've missed the secret sauce of the church. The church is gathered and scattered. The church is active in a community, serving, loving, caring, sharing. And what you have to understand is you are gifted. You are gifted. You are gifted. And I believe that right now God is waking up somebody's heart. Waking up somebody's heart to the call. So you say, what do I do next? Explore your history. Consider your natural abilities. Ask God to increase your desires. But in the end, just serve somewhere. Just serve somewhere. And do it humbly. And what you'll find is that you'll strengthen someone else's faith. And it will make you happy. It'll fill you with joy. Because there's nothing like using your gift to strengthen the faith of another. Would you stand with me today? We're going to pray. Take a moment, bow your head. I, I just want to, I want to take just a minute and, and talk to anyone here who is far from God. Maybe you haven't really ever been to church before and this is all new for you. Or maybe you've, you've kind of done the church thing for a long time. But you're not right with God. That whole idea of lordship and grace, something's missing. Maybe you've never really tasted the grace of God where he completely washes you of sin and shame and guilt and you know you're forgiven in your heart and you're not trying to earn his acceptance. You're just at peace because Christ has spoken to your soul and told you that you're loved. Grace. Maybe you're missing that. Or maybe you're missing lordship and you thought you could just take grace and do whatever you wanted and you've realized that your heart's still empty because you weren't created to create your own rules. You were created to know him. And all of his laws are love. All of his limits are blessings. Whatever he says no to it so that he can say yes to something better. He's a good father, but you have to trust him as Lord of your life. And so you're here. Maybe you're missing lordship. Maybe you're missing grace. But either way, you're far from God. And today is your day to make a turn. He's knocking on the door of your heart right now. You're 17 years old. You're trying to figure out life. You're 42, you're 58. Whatever stage or story you're in the middle of, it's going to be a whole lot better with him at the center. I want to urge you right now, turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Open your heart to him. Give him center stage in your heart. Invite him into your life by faith. It's a long time coming for somebody here today. And I just want to invite you now. I'm just going to, just in a moment, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a symbol of your choice to say, I've been far from God, and today I need to come close. Today I need to invite him into my life. I need to make him the center of my life. I don't know all the details of your story, but he brought you here for this. And so if you're here today, and that's you, I'm just calling you home right now. But deep calls unto deep. The Holy Spirit will pull you on the inside. It'll feel a little bit like your mind, a little bit like your emotions, but it's different. That's your spirit calling. That's your spirit pulling you to say yes to Jesus, but you must choose this day who you will serve. You must choose. So I just encourage the saints to pray. Anyone that's received grace and lordship, if you've just trusted Christ, I just encourage you to pray right now for your brother, for your sister. There might be three people down or whatever that's wrestling right now because this is his moment. This is her moment. You might have a PhD or maybe you never finished the eighth grade. 
You might have a million dollars or maybe you don't have five bucks. You need Jesus. You need him. <laughs> you need him. He's calling you home right now. He's calling you home right now. I'm just going to count to three. If that's you, I just invite you to lift up your hands. It's a symbol of your faith to God. One, two, three. Just stick up your hands. That's me. That's me. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody else say, that's me. God bless you. 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 Anybody else? That's me. Come here, put your hands down. Thank you for that step of faith. It's between you and the Lord. Anybody else? Say, I just want to take that moment. I want to make that choice right now. Anybody else? Lead you in a simple prayer today. I want to invite you to whisper this to God. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These might just sound like words, but this is supernatural. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Just whisper it to him right now. Be my Lord and Savior. I put my faith in you. I believe you died and rose again. Wash away my sin. Give me new life right now. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. As they just prayed that simple prayer of invitation, Lord, would you right now give them the assurance that you heard them. Let the peace of God mark them right now. Lord, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would rest upon them and that they would experience the presence of Jesus to affirm their step of faith that they, in fact, have been heard by God. Lord, I pray even right now, wash them in that peace. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing in just a second. Before we do, I just want to talk to the church for a moment. Maybe you're here and um, you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. I just encourage you to start asking God, even right now during this song, start asking God, and then begin to serve somewhere. Or maybe you're here and you've been on the bench. I just encourage you to jump in with humility and begin to serve. Or maybe you're here and the Lord really put this one on my heart and you are serving, but somewhere along the line, Cooper Fineo snuck back in. He started making it about you. I've been there before, serving my heart out, but I made it about me. I had to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. It's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about you. And so if that's happened in your heart, just give it over to him. Because I want to invite God to do a new thing today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person here. And I thank you that you are, in fact, doing a new thing in your church. I pray that even as we sing, there would be a shift in the spirit this morning. And that, God, by the Holy Spirit, you would let an old thing die and a new thing come alive. I pray, God, that you would untangle the hooper fineo, the overly self-focused mindset that exists in every one of us. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would have sober judgment, that he, we would see in view of God's mercy and that we'd offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, I pray that the mercy of God would transform our perspective. Holy Spirit, even now, we invite you to work in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.